Ladies and gentlemen, and all of us who are neither and or both, welcome to Trans Louisiana, the podcast of the Louisiana Trans Oral History Project. My name is Sophia Ziegler, and I'm so delighted for you to be here. So delighted to say that this is our very first episode. Just all around, very delighted. This podcast features selections from the oral histories gathered by the Louisiana Trans Oral History Project, which aims to gather, share, and preserve the voices of Louisiana's trans and gender nonconforming communities. You can learn more about us and all the things that we do at louisianatransoralhistory.org and by finding us on your favorite social media platforms. This podcast also aims to uplift members of our communities in many other ways, including our Song of the Month selection, in which we feature trans musicians. So be sure to stick around to the end of the show to hear our very first Song of the Month. We also take the time to thank the people who make all of this possible. This week I'm excited to thank Fox, Ray, Adam, and Caroline, all of whom are project patrons. Their support allows so much of the great work that we do. Later, I'll be telling you about how you can be a patron of the project and get a special shout-out on our next month's episode. But first, I'm delighted to say that today we'll be listening to segments of an interview I did with Camilla Marchina back in August 2020. And by way of both introduction and context, I'll say just a few things here. Camilla is a trans woman who uses she, her pronouns, who works to uplift her community in a number of ways. We'll hear her mention Metairie, which is a part of the greater New Orleans area in Jefferson Parish, just outside of the city. Camilla also talks about her job with Crescent Care, which is a health care center in New Orleans with a long history of focusing on the LGBTQ plus communities. You can learn more about them on their website. And just one last note, and this one is about the audio quality. It is not always great. There are sometimes mysterious background noises. I hope you agree. It's worth sticking it out, though. I really do love this interview. I'm so happy to present it here. And now, let's start. So I've got my little script here that I'll just jump into. This is S.L. Ziegler sitting down remotely with Camilla Marchina. Camilla is a trans woman and uses she, her pronouns. Today is August 2nd, 2020, and we're meeting remotely using Zoom because the COVID-19 pandemic is still very scary. Camilla, as we discussed before, this interview is part of the Louisiana Trans Oral History Project. And the goal here is to gather real world examples of what it means to be trans in Louisiana here in the early 21st century. I thought we would just start with early life, right? Grew up in Metairie. Yes. Could you just tell me a little bit about that? Like maybe what your parents were doing? Yeah. So starting with early life, my mother is, both of my parents, or biological parents, are Costa Rican. And my mother uh, came by herself to, uh, to New Orleans to uh, study uh, at university and had me here. And she uh, stayed. Uh, she never, she didn't go back to, to Costa Rica. So shortly after she, after she landed here, um, she ended up meeting um, an American here and they uh, fell in love, got married. So yeah, they, she settled down here. Um, they uh, moved to Metairie maybe when I was like in the second grade. And then I spent like most of, yeah, Growing up in Metairie, which I just found out is uh, Choctaw land. I would say like my my youth was 
challenging because of my first, what was uh, my orientation, my sexual orientation. But I guess even before that, what really was coming in question or what I was, you know, emulating was a feminine energy um, that coming from a Latinx, you know, background wasn't really uh, accepted. So anytime that femininity came through, um, you know, my mom especially uh, was, uh, you know, a little, was critical of it, you know, tried to like, you know, shift my mannerisms and behavior to be more in line with what, um, you know, a traditional Latin son should be. So, even with that, you know, pushback, it, it didn't really, it, it couldn't stop me. And I, I would pay mind to some of it, continue doing what I wanted. And it wasn't until I, I went to high school, because um, I was in, um, you know, Catholic school, and they were very strict there. And then finally, when I went to this magnet school was when I started to meet like more creative youth my age who did like theater and um, were into like alternative things at the time. And some of them were open about their sexuality at such a young age that I started to feel more comfortable expressing mine. And um, thankfully the, the school there was very, it was small. And it was there that I, I really started to get to play with my uh, identity, with my gender expression. It was uh, for the most part supported. So I was, I was able to let loose a little bit more. Towards the end of my high school, you know, I, my, my mother and I, our relationship got very strained. She had been a single mom for many, many years. I kind of was forced to like grow up quickly and like help out to raise my younger siblings and, you know, kind of just uh, took on a lot of responsibility, you know, and then also like trying to please her and like what, you know, she expected out of like her son. And at that time, you know, I was shopping in the women's section. I had was growing out my hair. I, I loved makeup, you know, was definitely toying with my identity without having any real language to, um, or anyone, even though like I was like, you know, a product of the, of the internet. Um, yeah, I didn't really have anyone to like, or a source to like find what that language was. I would love to talk a little bit more about your high school. Yeah, I, I would love to. That, um, that school was so magical. And right before I got there, though, I had also been made aware of how different I was from like the other, you know, the other males in my class. And, you know, my perception of public school was a little bit that it was a little rough. So I was pretty nervous about that. And especially like, knowing that I had been singled out as being different. Immediately after the first day, and like, based off of like the kids that I had met, I was like, this is amazing. The, these kids, you know, just had this like sense of like freedom and, you know, were unlike anyone I had countered, had encountered. I was like still trying to like hang on to, I guess these, you know, the, the ideals of what you're supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to be attracted to women, you're supposed to be into sports or whatnot. Um, I was like still trying to hold on to that and slowly realize that like I don't have to there. And even though like some people questioned it, like there was definitely, it was like very, it was very diverse there. And like it definitely leaned more towards like the creative type. And yeah, I like, I was like the years went by, like I just feel like myself just like being a little bit freer and freer. And like, 
you know, pushing the boundaries, pushing the limits and like no one pushing back. So just like I could keep going. And like, it was like little things like there, I didn't, there wasn't like a, a hair length I had to maintain. So I could like finally grow my hair out really long. Um, that was one thing I hated about the Catholic schools was you always had to have your hair really short. Like you, your bangs couldn't be um, past your eyebrows. So that was like my first, you know, kind of like, okay, let me do this. And then, you know, after that, it was like, I'm gonna start like painting my nails. And um, I really loved, I was like starting, like fashion blogs were like really starting to take off during that time. So I was like online, like right after school, like looking at all these fashion blogs and wanting to like emulate what I saw on them. So I would go, my mom really liked to go thrift shopping. So I would go with her and I would like peek into like trying to pick out clothes for her at first, like in the women's section. Cause I've always, like I've always had a good eye and like style. You know, I was like, oh wait, mom, can like I get this for myself? Like I was like very petite as well. So like a lot of the, the boys clothing just like didn't really fit me right. Or I didn't really like the way they fit me. Uh, very like oversized and, you know, drab and yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, not the not the fashion icon I was trying to do in high school. <laughs> so, you know, people would see me like uh, playing with my gender expression and be like, "Oh, I love that on you. You look you look great. Like, do this or do more." And I want to see you in this. And you know, and I loved it. Like they they fed that creativity um, and you know my my expression um, during that time. So. For that reason, I, I feel really, really lucky that I got my peers' support. And as someone who has like, oh, kind of always been a, a people pleaser, you know, that was really important to me. Like I couldn't, I wasn't, even though I was like singled out and I was, there wasn't a lot of other like openly queer kids at that time, I like I didn't ever want to stand out in a bad way. You know, so that was, seeing their support was like really important to me and, um, and definitely it's the reason that I like kept going with it. Had I not had that support, it was life-saving. I would have had no direction. You, you mentioned before that you still didn't have the terminology that you, that you gained later. So you were, you were mm -hmm. identifying as gay. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was a gay boy. I was, yeah. you know, whatever yeah. other words you have for that. Um, <laughs> no, but it was, you know, for me, I think what really just stood out was just like, it wasn't just like my attraction to like to to men or to guys or to whatever you know it was you know this this attraction and also like this very like natural like feminine energy that just like flowed out of me um at that time like at that time i was getting misgendered you know because i was like well, i'm actually a boy you know but like when i would go and like you know shopping or you know in these public spaces or on the phone like i was always getting called ma'am people just perceived me as like female i liked it and i didn't really i didn't fight it and you know i i wanted more of it so but yeah i even though like the internet was definitely a thing and like social media was like at that time like there wasn't really anyone that um i remember during that time that i was like you know that was like trans or like maybe even like gender non-conforming that i could have really um you know uh connected to it's yeah. it's funny when i look back at that time because so two people which like these references are just are so wild um but it's uh walter mercado they were this um astrological like 
deity uh, in Latin America that would come on the news uh, and do like astrology uh, reading. And, you know, like, was this like crazy, like, we knew that like, uh, they were born male because of his name, you know, but embodied so much like femininity. And I don't even like the, the energy. It was, it was so like, I'd never met anyone or seen anyone like that before, um, you know, and it was so like uh, ornate and like his mannerism. So he talked a lot with his hands, um, but like very softly and um, his voice as well. And, you know, he would uh, wear like seven different rings on his fingers and wore these like really colorful, like ornate capes. He has a, a documentary out on, on Netflix now. You know, I was like, oh my God, like that's why when he would come on, like I would just like freeze and like, you know, be so in tune to what he was saying. Um, and I could watch him because like everyone in Latin America loved him and like listened to his readings and took it as like, you know, the Bible's word. So yeah, like that was like someone who like, I rec like I recognized, but like didn't recognize. And then during that time, like social media, like started to become a thing. So, um, you know, MySpace like really was like what, was the big you know thing during my high school years you know and there was like certain people on there that would really like mess with gender you know I was like very attracted to them because of that reason and they inspired me to do that in, in my life but yeah I didn't I didn't have the words for it I just I was attracted to what I liked um I wanted to express myself in that kind of way I didn't want to be repressed because of it um you know or, or treated differently or poorly because of it uh, because I was mostly supported and amplified in high school, I like continued with it and uh, and pushed it, you know, to, yeah, to as much as I could. And then, so after high school, you went to, you ended up going to LSU and you started there in 2011. What, what did you go there to study? Um, so I was like, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to go to college for at that time. Um, but the one thing that I mentioned earlier was like, I loved like fashion blogs and I loved, I loved going, uh, you know, shopping with my mom at like thrift stores and like putting pieces together. And, um, you know, I wanted to work in retail. I thought working in retail was like the coolest job ever, uh, you know, working at the mall. Like that was like my dream. <laughs> um, and, uh, so I was like, uh, looking up like different careers within, within fashion and, um, everyone was like, oh, you need to go be a designer. You need to go for like fashion design. So the, the two schools that I applied to were LSU and this fashion school in New York. Yeah, and I got into the fashion school, but I, when I was like figuring out the financial aid aspect of it, I was like, I can't do this. I ended up at, at LSU and I went for, uh, you know, I was studying fashion merchandising, you know, more like the business side of like buying and selling. So you were the only openly queer student at the high school. Did you connect with the queer community at LSU? Um, I didn't. You know, at that time, like when I had graduated, um, I was like at like the peak of like my gender expression. You know, I was perceived pretty, like if you didn't know me, you were like, that's a girl. I don't know like what, I don't remember like what my, um, imagery of LSU really was I oh I had gone for orientation I think and um 
I had realized that like, I have to tone it all the way down. Um, I just like could not, uh, it's like weird. Like I liked attention, but I didn't like attention and I didn't like, you know, the wrong attention. Um, and I knew that had I, if my expression, you know, if I'd continued down that path, like I would have had such a, a diff- like a difficult time. In terms of like my gender identity and expression, it was like a huge step back. It was like four years of time when maybe I could have been making some kind of progress towards like my transition um, or could have kept going with where I was at at the end of high school, but instead reverted back. So that was like, I graduated in 2015. I was like spent, I'd spent about a year here in, you know, New Orleans, just like working and like getting reconnected and, you know, like figuring things out. And then it was, yeah, around like 2016 when like I finally kind of had the language for it. And like, I don't even remember like who it was. Um, maybe it was like someone on like YouTube that like I stumbled upon, you know, I don't really remember who was like the first like trans person or like the first, yeah, like that made me feel like, okay, wait, maybe this is possible for me. Um, and like, this is something that I can do. I remember like talking to my friends and, um, my, like my sister at that time and being like, Hey, I'm kind of like thinking about doing this thing. Like I, it's kind of scary. Um, but I like, I want to go for it. And then, you know, things just like took off after that. I'm like impatient. I had already felt like I wasted all this fucking time. Like I wasted like four, almost five years at that point of like my, my youth where, you know, and I had like, I had gotten rid of all my like beautiful female clothing, like from high school. I had cut my hair or was like wearing my hair really short again. Um, I had these muscles that like, you know, cause I was trying to like be this person that I'm not. So I was like, oh my God, like I need to get back to where I was at the end of high school, like ASAP, you know, and like did everything that I could to, to get back there. And, and very similarly, like, you know, had lots of support from, from my friends that were here in New Orleans yeah. and, uh, and just went for it. like you know, just really at first, like, tried to figure most of it out on my own. Like, I wasn't connected to any other, like, local trans person. So I was working at the hospital at that time, and, you know, this, like, gender clinic was, like, taking off a little bit more at Crescent Care, and they uh, got this grant that could hire, like, two trans women. And I was like, oh, how cool would it be to, like, come work with somewhere where they know who I am? Yeah, and then that's how I became, um, you know, what I'm in my current role now as like a linkage specialist or patient navigator um, at at Crescent Care um, and get to just work for specifically like uh, trans femme, uh, you know, people has really just like molded me in like ways that like I never would have thought um, had I not been able to like work in this field and connect with so, so many different trans women, trans femmes, and and mostly uh, trans women of color. Like, I was like, okay, well, I've been through this and I went through it alone. So, and I don't, I want to like, like connect with people and I don't want them to feel alone on their, on their journeys. Um, I want them to be able to reach out to an actual person and ask them questions about certain things or where to go to do this or that or what resources that are out there. 
what I've been able to focus on has been mostly supporting, uh, you know, other black and brown, like trans women. And that, that alone, you know, that, that piece alone is, there, there comes so much with it, especially like during this time that, you know, we're, we're seeing so much violence against black and brown, like trans people, specifically trans femmes. I just wanted to ask sort of one last thing that we that I normally ask. Um, you're talking about how you had to do a lot of the things alone when you first did it, and you, you wanted to supply support for other people. A lot of what we're trying to do with this project is, is similar. We're trying to show, we're trying to create a resource that when other people, uh, both here in Louisiana specifically, but anywhere in the world, is really thinking about these things. You'll be able to just have a resource where you could hear other people had gone through it, what it meant for them to go through it. So, you know, we're, we're here in uh, August of 2020, the world's uh, giant mess. But, um, you know, just sort of wondering if what, we didn't talk about that you thought it would be important for people to know about if they, they listen to this in a couple of decades, um, whether or not there's anything that you, you think is important that we didn't touch on or any sort of final thoughts that you have. Yeah, um, you know, when I, when we talk about like the world being a mess and we talk about lack of resources, the discrimination, the, the violence against our communities, it's all, it's all very heavy. Um, and when I talk and when I go, when I like speak about my community, it can feel like a pity party almost. Um, like, and I don't ever want to highlight, I never want people to, to think that way. Like, oh no, like, uh, you know, you know, to focus on like the oppression that, uh, that we face. And I really always like to leave it on a, a positive and uplifting, you know, note and like, really just speak to the the resilience and solidarity that we that we exude that we create with each other um you know it is unlike anything i've ever seen or heard of in other in other communities you know my life has has i feel like built me up for that um, and I always honor the work that I stand upon. This grant that I work in now, uh, you know, wouldn't wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the the work that trans women of color have put in uh, before me. The fact that I'm able to live so openly, you know, and talk about my experience and not, you know, fear for my safety being loved publicly by, you know, my partner, this didn't happen overnight. None of this was given to us. Our ancestors, our ancestors fought for all of this that we now are starting to, you know, finally like, you know, benefit from. And that to me is like, just, I don't, I don't even have words for how, um, for the impact, um, and how life-changing that has been. Um, yeah, I just, I don't have words for, I, it's undescribable, um, you know, even with all of those things stacked against us, like my community fucking makes it work. Um, like nobody else also have, um, 
you know, they are some of the most creative and uplifting and positive people um, I've ever met in my life, uh, no matter what is going on in their, in their world. And the, the resiliency and, uh, you know, really like a big like fuck you to society and being like, guess what, you are, you know, stacking all this against me. Well, I don't give a shit. Like I um, am gonna continue to do what I need to do. Uh, I'm gonna knock it down, walk around, whatever way, like get around it, um, are incredible like navigators of systems. And there's just so much like wealth of like knowledge. Um, and it really, to me, just centers around everyone's, you know, strength and resilience. Um, and not letting anything deter them from becoming who they've always dreamt of being. They're living in their authenticity, uh, you know, no matter what trials or tribulations or challenges or, you know, violence they, they face on their daily lives. Certain aspects of this work definitely get to me and I'm by no means like a bad bitch. Uh, you know, I'm not the, the strongest person out there. There's definitely been a lot of moments where I have like really felt defeated and knocked down. But I think of all those things, I think of already what we've accomplished. I think about the future um, and it re-energizes me. It re, uh, you know, gives me the strength um, and the energy and the fight to, uh, to keep going and to like leave this world a slightly better place for the other young queer and trans kids coming up after us. And you know what, maybe one of them will show up to LSU and not change who they are and will make LSU change to and accept and uplift who they are. So that's, you know, that's something that I always, always love to highlight and leave on. It, uh, it is 100% um, my main driving force. In this work, in my life, I don't take it for granted and I don't take it lightly. Um, and that's why I work with a sense of urgency because this is, this is my family. I feel so loved um, and supported and uplifted. Um, and that's because uh, the relationships and my community. I, I fight and with everything that I have and um, I wanna leave this world a better place for my family. I hope that you know whoever hears this story ben is benefiting in some kind of way because of the work that we have all done, you know, and especially, especially to, uh, you know, my black and brown trans femme, trans women, uh, trans girls uh, that will, that will come, are coming up after us. That is such a beautiful note to end on. For additional interview transcripts, visit our website at louisianatransoralhistory.org. And before we hear the song of the month, let me give a very big appreciation to Caroline Ziegler and Ray Geringer for their editorial work for this episode, the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities for the funds that made interview transcripts possible. Let me thank our transcriptionist, Dre Tarleton. Our theme music is composed and performed by Daisy Ray. Today's show was mixed, recorded, and hosted by me, Sophia Ziegler, and I want to give a giant, giant thank you to Camilla Marchina for being part of our project. 
And as I mentioned at the top of the program, so much of what we do depends on the support of patrons. If you like our work, you can find us at patreon.com slash Louisiana Trans Oral History. All funds are reinvested in the community. This is how we pay the musicians for the use of their work. This is how we pay for ongoing interview transcripts, and I love that everyone we give money to is part of the transgender non-conforming communities. Today's feature song is by Goose Teeth, a project by Ayla Scott, a chaotic footch musician based in New Orleans. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do, and I hope we all continue to support trans and gender non-conforming artists. Have a great day, everybody. Be safe out there. And we'll be back next month with our next episode. Ditch my greed, have some fun and 
some basic understanding.